You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you again for the privilege of studying your word and specifically this book of Hebrews today. Thank you for this wonderful group of people that we have here. We ask for your gracious merciful presence to help us and bless us as we begin now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we have the first mention of Jesus' priestly ministry. Mentioned that his, um, his purging of sin. And then in chapter 2, you know, the name high priest is used. Uh, And again in chapter 4, the name is used and his wonderful priesthood is referred to. And now let's see here. I actually want to just look at it. So yeah, chapter one, verse three, and then and then uh, and then chapter two, sort of the the um, at the end there, it, we're again pointed to our high priest, verse seventeen specifically. All things he had to be he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And uh, then we have in most of chapter three and four, we have this. Um, exhortation section ending with a transitional section starting there in in verse 14. So seeing then, uh, transitional section, that seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are. And then we're encouraged to come boldly to the throne of grace because of those things. And then we're ushered into chapter 5, which is where we're starting today. So, uh, and uh, chapter 5, verse 6 I certainly hope not. (laughs) Well, we did do chapter 5 yesterday. We did do chapter 5. I'm just going to look at a few things and then I'm moving on to chapter 7. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. See, you were hearing. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, we definitely did chapter 5. Okay. So then in chapter 5, for the first time, we have uh, the introduction of the... uh, and notice he doesn't use the word high priest here because he's quoting from Psalm 110, which does not use the word high priest, but simply the word priest. And he remains faithful to what he's quoting. But for the first time, we have introduced the order of Melchizedek. 5 verse 6. You know, we're going to be talking about him today. 
So, yeah, I will. And yes, and and yes. <laughs> okay, so. And then, of course, the um, tasting death for every person that Jesus experienced, the learning obedience by the things which he suffered, and uh, the becoming, um, therefore, um, high priest according to the order of Melchizedek in chapter 5 and verse 10. Um, again, Quoting from, um, whoops, I'm going the wrong way. From one, Psalm 110 and verse 4. Okay. And then he says, our author goes on to say, after mentioning Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So, of whom we have much to say. And hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. And because of the dullness of their hearing, there comes an exhortation, uh, which lasts all the way to chapter 6, verse 12. I keep forgetting this two days in a row. <laughs> so, you catch that then? He, he's talking about, he introduces the uh, you know, priesthood of Melchizedek, uh, and then he says, we have much to say. Um, but you have become dull of hearing, therefore it's hard to explain. And so as we're going to see then, he's going to have this exhortation, and then finally he's going to come back to talk about Melchizedek. Just so you know where we're at here. And you can read that whole thing, the whole exhortation. If you want to, we're not covering it uh, in this seminar. But uh, um, go back here. Yeah, so then the last two verses of the exhortation series, uh, verse 11, he says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So he commends them the way they were. But now they have fallen back. And so we're commending you that you show the same diligence uh, to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay? So they had become sluggish or he was concerned they would become sluggish in imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And what he's going to do now is, is use Abraham as an example of an individual who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Okay, That's, what's, that's what he's going to do next. And... But I want you to first know that the word in Hebrews 5, verse 11, and the word in Hebrews 6, verse 12, uh, is the same Greek word. And the basic meaning is lazy. So they had become lazy in hearing, and were in danger at least of becoming lazy in imitating those uh, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. 
So that's the same word. And, and we should say, um, we don't want to be lazy in hearing, right? Um, we want to have an experience with God's Word. I didn't say we want to be theologians. or We want to um, have our hearts warmed in the devotional sense as we study God's Word. You know the men on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts burned within them as Jesus opened the Scriptures to them. And that's our privilege. And um, sometimes we're so busy or sometimes we have problems with you know, our attitude or whatever. The Lord wants to feed us. I know he wants to feed me. Uh, and uh, so we don't want to be lazy in hearing and we don't want to be lazy in imitating those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. All right. So then, speaking of Abraham, verse Hebrews 6.15 says, uh, and so after he, after Abraham, uh, we'll be looking at the verse or two before this in a second, but after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. See, so by faith and patience, he obtained the promise. Right, he came to that point, and that's encouraging for us, isn't it? He wasn't always patient, uh, she said. Good point. Good point. All right, so now what's going to take place is a transition back to Psalm 110, verse 4, which, by the way, uh, mentions Melchizedek. So remember we left off? He said, uh, you know, after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to understand because you have become dull or lazy of hearing. And then he went off on this exhortation, so now is his opportunity, having mentioned Abraham, uh, because Abraham's experience had a uh, correlation with Psalm 110, verse 4, in that uh, the Lord swore, you know, made an oath to Abraham, and there is an oath in Psalm 110, verse 4. So this is his opportunity to get back to Psalm 110, verse 4, back to Melchizedek. And I'm going to show you this right now. I've I'm I'm just told you ahead of time what's going to happen here. So he's going to transition back. So he said, For when God made a promise to Abraham, before, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So he took an oath, obviously, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. So, you know, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, God promised Abraham certain things. But in Genesis 22, after Abraham was willing to offer Isaac, his only begotten son, so to speak, then um, the Lord took an oath. And this has, um, you know, this is what it says in Psalm 110, verse 4. So this is amazing. So this author recognizes this, and he really, without much of a, it's not real clear, but he transitions to Psalm 110, verse 4. Because what he, what he does is, he says, Thus God determined to show more abundantly 
to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Here, uh, he's transitioned over to Psalm 110, verse 4. Okay, And notice there, uh, the immutability of his counsel, which probably is a reference to Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. That is, he will not change his mind. In other words, the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel. And this counsel, by the way, is the um, counsel of peace that took place in the days of eternity when the Father and the Son met together and um, formed the plan of human redemption. And uh, here the Lord, here it tells us that the Lord wanted his people to know. He was determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise that this plan will not change. So here's the Father and the Son and the Council of Peace as the scripture calls it. And it involves the Jesus, you know, not only leaving heaven, but leaving, you know, becoming a human being in fallen nature and becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here it says, the Lord wanted his people to know this plan is not going to change. That is a super awesome thing. Super awesome thing. And so, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, um, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Um, notice here, it's talking about refugees. Sometimes, uh, you know, I hear we hear people talking about, you know, well, they're going to try Christianity, you know, see if they like it or whatever. You can't really come to Jesus like that. We come to Jesus as refugees, right? Right. And uh, I know a lot of refugees myself, both from Burma and from Africa. And, uh, you know, they're fleeing from something, in many cases at least. And uh, we are fleeing from sin. We're fleeing from this world and its ways. And we're fleeing from our own fallen hearts, right? Refugees coming to Jesus, clinging to Jesus. This is the only way I know of to come to Jesus is as a refugee, right? And, uh, so it's a, it's a good word spoken here. Refugee. So, And the Lord wanted the refugees to have a strong consolation, comfort, 
to know that uh, he's not going to change his mind. I know uh, in Grand Rapids, there's two, I know very well, they, they have not been attending church since, and they haven't really come back, but they, since, well, I think one of them got COVID and then they took it more serious. And anyway, um, male and female, and um, young people, like 19 or 20. And um, one was from, I can't remember, Guatemala, and the other was from, I can't remember the country, but right about that time, when they were coming to church, um, there was uh, somebody drove by, there was two refugees, one from one of their countries, one from the other, young people. Somebody drove by and shot and killed them both. Just, yeah. And uh, to my knowledge, they've never made an arrest, and it may very well have been just a totally senseless, although, they, you know, we don't know. But, uh, you know, these two young people were obviously very shooken up. Not only they, they knew the two who were um, murdered in cold blood, but, you know, they, they wondered if they were, you know, because they looked like they did, you know what I'm saying? They're Spanish people, and, and maybe they're after refugees or whatever. There are people that don't like refugees. So anyway, um, we are refugees. This world is not heaven. This world is not our home, right? And, uh, yeah. We have a hope set before us. And this hope we have in verse 19 as an anchor of the soul sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. This is beautiful language here. Um, you know, uh, we don't have an anchor that goes to the bottom of Lake Superior. It's a very deep lake, right? Um, we don't have an anchor that goes to the bottom of Lake Superior, which would be quite an anchor. We have an anchor that goes behind the veil into the presence of God. That is an awesome thing. An anchor was sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil. That is our anchor. Cannot be moved. Founded firm and deep in the Savior's love, right? Wonderful. And it says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice uh, the Lord in Psalm uh, 110, verse 4, not only told the Son that He would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but He would be a priest forever, as is brought out here, a priest forever. And uh, then that takes us to chapter 7. Okay? So he's mentioned Melchizedek by name here. And so we go into chapter 7. And you'll probably be amazed to, to know that, um, or at least to take the thought, that chapter 7, the book of Hebrews, the whole chapter, is a commentary on Psalm 110, verse 4. It's, it's literally a commentary. Like we have the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary, we can look up certain chapters and see the comments. 
That's what this is. And uh, verses 1 through 10 uh, talk about the significance of this Melchizedek. And verses 11 through 19 talk about the implications of this order of Melchizedek, this priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. And uh, verse 20 through 25, where we will spend most of our time, it talks about the idea of this forever priesthood. So, I don't have this on my slide, but I'm going to just share some thoughts with you. Of course, you, uh, well, let's just mention that Melchizedek, Melchizedek uh, is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, there's, you know, a few verses there about him. And uh, here in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 1, we read, I'm just going to read this. It's based really on uh, verses 17 through 20 in Genesis 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the so made like, so resembling, I'll say, the Son of God remains a priest continually. Continually. Okay? So before I comment on it, I'm just going to read Genesis 14, verses 18 and 19, which say. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. That is, Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all. Okay? So there are certain points here uh, mentioned about Melchizedek. Um, one, he was king of Salem. Genesis 14, 18. Two, uh, priest of the Most High God. Three, he met and blessed Abraham. This is all coming from Genesis so far. Four, he received tithes from Abraham. Five, his name means king of righteousness. Uh, that's in Hebrews. And six, king of... King of Salem means king of peace. So those are things that um, we learn from the scriptures, that um, our text gives us from the scriptures. Now, um, yes? Yes? I believe Salem was a place. And uh, some have said it's referring to Jerusalem. I haven't studied that much into that thing, that point. So those six, six things. Uh, now there are three things that uh, we learn from our author. Um that are based on what the text doesn't say. Okay? 
Everything, the first six were on things that were based on things that the text did say. Now, these are based on things that the text doesn't say. Okay? And those things are without father, without mother, neither beginning of days nor end of life, without genealogy. Okay? So, and we shouldn't take that lightly because, I mean, I'll just tell you, Melchizedek had a mother. Um, but his genealogy is not mentioned in Genesis. And this is unusual. He's the only one of the servants of God in the early chapters of Genesis whose genealogy is not given. So this is not just a trite little point, okay? And um, let's see here. So I have a comment here from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, actually, volume 7, page 439. And uh, this is what they say. And I think it makes sense. They say, The author may simply mean that there is no record of who Melchizedek's father and mother were. Okay. And um, so the rabbis, of which the Apostle Paul was a rabbi, right? They had a saying that uh, what is not in the Torah is not in the world. Okay. So if it wasn't there, then... <laughs> As far as they were concerned, it didn't exist. So that's sort of maybe at play here a teeny bit because um, this fact is used to suggest that he is resembles the Son of God. Okay, resembles, not. I don't think he's saying that he had no father or mother, but there's no genealogy there and. So, resembles the Son of God. You follow that? So, um, and of course you know that the Levitical priests um, depended upon their genealogy for their priesthood. I mean, their genealogy was kept literally in a, you know, tightly locked away in the temple. If there was a marriage, something like this, um, then they would go and study it. Because the priest... Someone from a priestly family did not want to marry someone from a non-priestly family or whatever like that. And they would, if that, if, certainly if he was going to become an active priest or become a high priest, they would be scrutinized very carefully. So, they were dependent upon their genealogy for their priesthood. And uh, also, uh, they depended, they received, their, they received tithes based on that same genealogy. That's important to keep in mind. We have no such record. Therefore, um, this is used then to, comp to say, you know, was made like in this way. In other words, to resemble. In other words, this is a symbol of the Son of God. What you're going to find out here, the final emphasis in this chapter is going to be on his priesthood is forever. So that's where the tie-in is. Okay? Right, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and then I just want to read to you two things here. And, and that one is from... Uh, First Selected Messages, page 409. That's a good book if you have reference to that. I mean, if you have uh, access to that. And it says there, 
one first selected message is page 409. It says, it was Christ that spoke through Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek was not Christ, but he was the voice of God in the world, the representative of the Father. And then from the Bible Commentary, Volume 1 of the Bible Commentary, page 1092, it says, this is an inspired statement here. It says, God has never left himself without witness on the earth. At one time, Melchizedek represented the Lord Jesus Christ in person to reveal the truth of heaven and perpetuate the law of God. So he was a representative of Jesus. He was not Jesus. He was a priest of the Most High God. So, the significance of Melchizedek, well, you can just look at those verses. I mean, uh, he received tithes from Abraham. So here's Abraham, who everybody had reverence for, right? By the way, Melchizedek was not a Levite. But Abraham paid tithes to him, therefore he must be genuine. You see what I'm saying? So he's going. he is establishing the legitimacy of, of the order of Melchizedek. So the um, significance of Melchizedek and who he is is first. Okay. So significance of Melchizedek, he was legitimate. He received tithe from Abraham. He blessed Abraham. And the greater, you know, the one who blesses is greater than the lesser. That's the argument, at least. Okay. And so he really establishes the legitimacy of this person, Melchizedek. Then, the implications of, you know, according to the order of Melchizedek. And the implications are, and I don't really have a slide here, but, um, I mean, he says there in verse 11, you know, uh, um, what need was there? So if perfection, that's chapter 7, verse 11, so if the goal was reached if perfection, completeness, you know, salvation was reached through the Levitical priesthood. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So just the very existence of Melchizedek is used to call into question the Levitical priesthood. You see that? So this is the significance of the order of Melchizedek is that its very existence, certainly in, in the book of Hebrews, is the reason to call into question the whole Levitical priesthood. Yes, um, exactly, forever. And, uh, and yet you see what I'm saying also, that it's immediately used to say, well, there was a purpose for this. It was the... Uh, ineffectiveness of the Levitical priesthood. So, and that's uh, verse 11. And, and uh, he points out in verse 13, for the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man, who had, from which no man has officiated at the altar. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So he's making the point, look, here's a whole order, not the order of 
uh, you know, the, of Aaron, and yet Abraham paid tithes to this man. So we know it's legitimate. He's a member of the conference, right? <laughs> okay, so that is uh, pretty much verses 11 through 19. That's the point. That um, Verse 15, I'm going to just read this here. It is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has not come according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. And... Uh, um, for he testifies, you are a priest forever, okay. according to the order of Melchizedek. So, 1 through 10, who is this Melchizedek? What is his significance? 11 through 19, what are the implications of this uh, according to the order of Melchizedek? And 20 through 25 then, you are a priest forever. This is uh, the last part that he's commenting. So this is it's a commentary, point by point, uh, of Psalm 110, verse 4. We're going to pick up at verse 20. Okay? So, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, Jesus, for they, the earthly priests, have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. I'm broken record on that. but <laughs> Okay. Now, notice, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, that word surety, by the way, that's a like he's... He's, it's a legal word. He's the one responsible. He's the guarantor, I guess what I want to say, of this better covenant. And, uh, and, and by so much more, it's better because he was called with an oath to be a priest forever. And that is going to be the point here. And he is a priest forever. Notice. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So, the preacher, the author, has gained a lot from Psalm 110 verse 1 and now Psalm 110 verse 4. He sees there an everlasting, eternal priesthood, which is exactly what it says. And he sees there that this is after a different order. And he is not afraid to point out that there is a reason for this, the ineffectiveness of the Levitical priesthood. And therefore, okay, he, he has an unchangeable priesthood he continues forever. That's Psalm 110, verse 4. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, he's a priest forever. And this phrase here that's translated, you know, to the uttermost, it can be legitimately translated either in like quality, like to save completely, or in terms of you know chronology, save forever. 
it can be legitimately translated either way, and both things are true. Myself, it seems pretty clear that in the context here, because it's talking about his forever priesthood, therefore, to me, it seems he's talking about to save forever. And I just want to say to you, I want to be saved forever. I don't want to spend a hundred years in heaven. Right? I mean, I don't want to spend a thousand years. I want to spend eternity. And uh, so just, you know, if we can let our minds grasp that. Because he's a priest forever. Uh, and I don't mean to say he's going to be, you know, uh, actively what he's doing now forever. He's not going to be an intercessor and so on. But nevertheless, the point is being made here in the Scripture. He can save forever. Did you have your hand up? Okay. For such a high priest was fitting for us who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. So notice that such a high priest was fitting for us. Back there in chapter 2, I don't know if I have a slide on this. Uh, let's see here. Um, I don't. So back there in chapter 2, remember it says, it was fitting that um, the captain of our salvation would be perfected through suffering. Now, it was um, fitting for us. For, uh, we have a high priest. Let me read it. For such a high priest was fitting for us. One who was made perfect through suffering and one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And I'd like to just emphasize this point. Fitting for us. The God of heaven wanted us to have a high priest who is fitting for us. He loves us. Not like we went to a shoe store and got the wrong size, you know. In fact, it's personal. Notice here. We just read this. Such a high priest was fitting for us. The high priest is for us. You know, we might be poor, but we have a high priest who was made to fit for us. So we are rich. And again, we read and uh, we have read in uh, Hebrews 6, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us. He went there for us, dear friends. He went there for you, dear friends. And I, you know, I don't know what what may be going on in your life right now, or what has happened in the not too far past, however hard it was or is, I certainly don't know what it will be in the future. But I know whatever it is, you know, the forerunner has entered heaven for you and for me. That just supersedes any trial. Really. I, I got a text from uh, Jody's husband. And, uh, I mean, he just, I got it yesterday, Ron, and he just told me, you know, it's the hardest thing he's ever 
experiencing this life. And, and some of you people know what that's about, I think. But um, he has a high priest that's there for him. It's not, you know, it's not going to take away pain, but it's going to sustain and help along the way in this world. And he appeared in the presence of God for us. I mean, anybody would want to go to the presence of God for any reason, right? Certainly Jesus, because he left the presence of God to be with us. But no, it doesn't say he went back there to get reacquainted. He went there for us. It's private, it's personal for us. The plan of redemption, although it affects and brings stability to the whole universe, it is for this fallen race. It is for you and I, born, you know, in human flesh. And uh, a new and living way was consecrated for us. It's just, uh, it's just, I hope now this, you know, if we can just, if we can just keep these realities in our heart and mind all the time. Yes. Okay. Yes. What does it say in June 24? I'm not. Is there? Yes. 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 Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's why we're here, right? That's why we came to camp meeting. To come in contact, to be lifted closer to heaven. Again, we have a great high priest. There is a great high priest. We have a great high priest. You have a great high priest. We have such a high priest, like we've been talking about all through the first seven chapters. And again, having a high priest. Wow. Uh, I think it's okay for me to say this. So there was a gentleman here that came to the camp meeting with a certain specific group of people who were not some say Adventist Christians and uh, fairly distinctive in their appearance and their beliefs. Maybe some of you saw them. And, but apparently uh, one of them was left behind. I don't know much about the inner workings about that, but I know one of them was left behind because... Uh, because I'm in accommodations. But anyway, um, and they told me, do you have a place for him? He, he has nothing but the shirt on his back. You know, That's all he has. And uh, but you know what? That They called him a boy when they first called me. He's like 30 years old, as it turned out. But um, he has nothing but the shirt on his back. But he may not understand it. I don't know what he understands. That whole group keeps the Sabbath. But um, he has a high priest. He has a high priest. We have a high priest. 
that is priceless, as they say, right? Absolutely priceless. And uh, oh, wow, that's the last last slide I have. All right. So, any questions, comments? Yes, please. It's not because you gave up asking questions, so right? <laughs> you never know. Okay. Yes? Well, I mean, the True. Yes, right. He ignored the additions purposely in some cases in order to bring attention to them, especially regarding the Sabbath. Yes. Well, I think the law here is a reference to the law regarding the priesthood or the ceremonial law. Yes. Any other questions or comments? Okay, good. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pray. I have a few more things to say but after the prayer. So it won't. Okay. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you so very much again for the precious message in this book of Hebrews. It's, it's just been mentioned. It's all for us. And you gave it all for us because you love us. You couldn't bear to be without us. And we want to give you our hearts. We want to to say to you, we are weak, but you are strong. Please just take our lives and keep us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.